Hello again, and welcome back to the Slow Flowers Podcast with Deborah Prinzing, episode 311. This is the weekly podcast about American flowers and the people who grow and design with them. It's all about making a conscious choice, and I invite you to join the conversation and the creative community as we discuss the vital topics of saving our domestic flower farms and supporting a floral industry that relies on a safe, seasonal, and local supply of flowers and foliage. This podcast is brought to you by slowflowers.com, the free nationwide online directory to florists, shops, and studios who design with American-grown flowers, and to the farms that grow those blooms. It's the conscious choice for buying and sending flowers. And thank you to our lead sponsor for 2017, Certified American Grown Flowers. The Certified American Grown program and label provide a guarantee for designers and consumers on the source of their flowers. Take pride in your flowers and buy with confidence. Ask for Certified American Grown Flowers. To learn more, visit AmericanGrownFlowers.org. The phrase flowers feed the soul is one you often see on greeting cards, on hand-painted signs, in all sorts of sentiments. And in the opinion of today's guests, flowers not only feed the soul and spirit, they play an important, nurturing role in healthcare. My guest today, Heidi Berkman, is the founder and president of The Bloom Project. Based in Portland, Oregon, The Bloom Project has been giving the gift of fresh floral bouquets to hospice and palliative care patients since 2007. Heidi reached out to me to introduce herself several years ago, and then, through our mutual friend, Christina Stembel of Farm Girl Flowers, I really got to spend time with Heidi last year, both talking about the floral business, but also doing fun things, like when all three of us traveled to Detroit last October at Lisa Wad's invitation to speak at Detroit Flower Week. The first time Heidi and I actually met in person was April of 2016, when I was in Portland to speak for the Portland Garden Club's annual flower show. Heidi put together a tour and reception for me to learn more about the Bloom Project and to meet key board members and volunteers and donors, as well as to see the beautiful workshop and studio headquartered at Tufel Holly Farm, just west of Portland. Donated by Larry Tufel, flower farmer and nurseryman, the space is akin to what you'd see at any large production facility, with tall work tables, great light, and plenty of cooler space for the flowers. It's pretty impressive to see where the Bloom Project's volunteers receive and process donated stems of flowers and foliage, as well as where the gift bouquets are created, packaged, and prepared for delivery to the ultimate recipient. Heidi and I have been talking about when would be an ideal time to feature the Bloom Project on the Slow Flowers podcast, and with our mutual travel schedules, well, we waited until now. This week, I'll be hosting a fun event as a Slow Flowers donation to the Bloom Project. At the annual Bouquets of the Heart auction that benefits the organization, I joined Larry Tufel in donating a Day of Flowers package for five guests. This week, Larry, who pilots his own plane, flew the winning bidder, and a few of her friends from Portland to Seattle, and I hosted them on a tour of the Seattle Wholesale Growers Market, which gave me a chance to talk about the mission of Slow Flowers and the importance of supporting local, seasonal, and sustainable flowers and the people who grow and design with them. We had a short design session, and everyone left holding her own bouquet with a story. I think that story, the story of showing compassion through flowers, is what the Bloom Project is all about, and Heidi is a powerful communicator for her cause and mission. 
Before we get started, let me introduce a little bit more about the Bloom Project. It started in Heidi's Central Oregon garage, beginning with a few flowers, a few volunteers, people who wanted to create something special and bring beauty and joy to those in end-of-life care. Many, including Heidi, had experienced the loss of a loved one in hospice care, and they recognized that there could be a use for resources, flowers, that would otherwise be tossed out. Over the last decade, the Bloom Project has continued to grow and support hospice and palliative care agencies across the state of Oregon, with the Portland metro area as its base. Volunteer teams have flourished, supporting the organization's goal of serving additional patients and families. Donated workspace, supplies, and equipment provide a wonderful place for volunteers to come together to create hundreds of beautiful bouquets each week. The Bloom Project relies on a committed group of floral and community partners who support its effort and mission. Heidi has a 25-year background of meeting and event planning with a strong background in retail marketing and extensive nonprofit experience. Her deep appreciation for the work of hospice comes from the personal experience of watching a loved one being cared for. She has always enjoyed working with flowers and says she is grateful to be able to create bouquets with donated flowers that can provide encouragement to others instead of being discarded. Heidi's passion for the Bloom Project has motivated her to share the story and spread the word about the power of flowers. Her vision for the organization is to continue to network people and resources in communities where hospice and palliative care organizations are serving patients and their families during end-of-life care. This simple act of kindness can be given by gathering a team of committed volunteers, sourcing flowers and supplies, establishing a workspace, and obtaining the support of the surrounding community to provide in-kind products and services, along with financial contributions to support the growth and impact of the organization. Visit DebraPrinzing.com for today's show notes, episode 311. You'll see photos and find links and more resources about the Bloom Project, including how you can participate in the upcoming Bouquets of the Heart event, which takes place October 27th in Portland. Please enjoy my conversation with Heidi. Welcome back to the Slow Flowers Podcast with Deborah Prinzing. And today I am delighted to introduce my friend, Heidi Berkman. Hi, Heidi. Hi, Deborah. How are you? I'm great. Thanks for joining me. We're on Skype, so hopefully technology will be our friend today. Yes. Um, Heidi is the founder and executive director of The Bloom Project, now based in Portland. Is that the right title, Heidi? Yes, this is. Great. Okay, so... What is the Bloom Project? Many people know about this, but um, I, I think that um, there's, there's a good story here, and I really want to share it with folks in the floral industry. Oh, thank you. Well, we are a nonprofit that repurposes flowers gifted to us by grocery stores and wholesalers, and we have volunteer teams that create bouquets, beautiful, fresh bouquets, for people in hospice and palliative care. So in other words, those that are in end-of-life care. Hmm. Palliative care is another term for um, uh, hospice, or is it a different type of medical practice? Palliative care actually is a um, a wonderful tool and ability for the medical community and others to surround 
an individual that has received a terminal diagnosis Mm. and really have some thoughtful conversation around what does that look like for that individual? How do we want to help build a team of professionals and others to support this person as they live out the remainder of their life? Um, You know, what choices and options are there to consider for Um, being able to accomplish the things that that individual still wants to do, where do they want to be, who do they want to be surrounded by, Um, you know, how can they make um, good informed choices about their care that may mean at certain points in time they may decide that they won't accept or won't elect for Mm -hmm. treatment so that quality of life um, to the very end, the best of everyone's ability can be preserved and just really um, help this individual have the best end of life for however long that is. Well, and at some point, uh, when you started the bloom project, you felt called to bring flowers into that experience. You felt that that flowers could have a positive, um, impact to that quality of life of people, uh, with terminal illness or cancer, right? Absolutely. Um, I'll share part of my personal story in starting the bloom project really revolved around having my first experience with hospice. And it was in 2002, and I was caring for an extended family member alongside of another. And it was kind of that classic dark gray January. And even the place that we were, um, this particular a condominium to not get a lot of natural sunlight. And so not only was the mood heavy, but the weather <laughs> echoed our sentiments. And I remember very clearly um, just spending a lot of time uh, with this family member and her mother and feeling like we're waiting for the inevitable to happen. Mm-hmm. And we're blessed by individuals from the hospice organization that was working with um her mother to really share with us what was about ready to happen and help us prepare personally. Um, but it was during that time that, uh, someone sent flowers and we both stopped and talked for probably a good 15 minutes about not only how beautiful were they were the color, but it was so nice to have something bright and cheerful during this time and this time of the year. And, um, how good they smelled, you know, how Ruth would have loved to have seen these cut flowers because mm-hmm. she always loved to have flowers in her home. And it really struck a chord, but it also made me realize how much time family members, whether it be spouses or children or close friends spend in this very same place. And it can be a little isolating. You know, we as Americans and our culture, we don't have a culture that wants to talk about death or dying in the process of dying. And, um, what we believe, uh, after almost 10 years of service in the communities that we serve is that it, the presence of flowers and the gift of flowers changes the atmosphere in the room. It changes the conversation. It lightens the mood. It allows people to talk about happier times and memories mm. that they have associated with flowers. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think the care workers, the nurses and the social workers and the chaplains and the hospice volunteers that go out to these 
private homes or care facilities where the patients are being cared for have said, you have completely changed the morale of our team because now when we show up at the door, we're no longer the angel of death. We have this beautiful gift that you are allowing us to give and present to the patient and family. And it's allowing us to do our work in a different way and have different conversations with these individuals. So that's really kind of the mission and the spirit of the Bloom Project. But like, there's a lot of practicalities and logistics involved. Like, how did you actually <laughs> go from this this really meaningful um, calling to to reality and actually executing the idea? Yes, that's a great question. Um, it's a very simple gift and a simple act, but there is a lot of logistics and coordination behind the scenes. You know, when we first started, um, what our priority was is to find access to as fresh of flowers as we could. And when we started in Bend, Oregon in 2007, our source for flowers were our grocery store partners primarily. And it took a little bit of education. <laughs> Obviously, we know clearly know and understand that the floral industry, whether it be a grocer or a florist or a designer or a wholesaler, the number one motivation is to sell flowers. And so we respectfully know and understand that. Um, but in creating partnerships, we did a little education with our floral partners saying, we cannot give wilting, dying flowers to dying hospice patients. Mm -hmm. So please carefully and thoughtfully think about what you are gifting to the Bloom Project so that we have product that we can share with these patients and families that will last a minimum of four to five days. And sometimes that's possible and sometimes it's not. But um, Whatever we are not able to use from these donations that we receive from grocers and wholesalers, we compost mm -hmm. in every location that we are in. So that effort towards not only stewarding product wisely and towards the mission, but also caring for our earth and making sure that everything is disposed of properly is also a priority to us. So um, over the course of time, you know, between... Uh, throughout our history, we have uh, worked with all different size grocers, some that are local only, some that are regional, some that are national. And now that we are in Portland, we're so grateful to the wholesale partners that we have at the Portland Flower Market, such as Mayesh and Frank Adams and Greenleaf. And um, we have actually just this past year been so excited to bring on new uh, floral and greens partners continental greens out of the state of washington has now been donating greens to us as well as sun valley group out of california so the the partnerships keep growing and blooming so to speak and we are just so excited and so grateful for the commitment and the consistency and the support of these companies standing behind us and the work that we're doing well you know since we met which i think Maybe virtually we met originally, and then maybe in a couple, many times last year we've spent visiting with each other, and also this year. Um, I've I've learned a lot about what happens with repurposed flowers, to use your term. I I think that there is an assumption, and correct me if you're if I'm wrong, but there's a general assumption that it's easy to recycle flowers after a wedding or event and use them for this type of purpose. But you've educated me to the challenges of that and for many reasons, but 
probably mostly just logistics. Um, is that why you kind of moved away from that post-wedding centerpiece, you know, donation to something a little bit more, I don't know, larger scale or more um, maybe using flowers that are maybe haven't been already handled quite a bit in a design? I mean, what are those issues that you're, you've, you've made those decisions about? Well, the focus, as we just talked about, is finding the freshest po- possible product that mm-hmm. we can use. And the, um, the donations that are coming from our wholesale partners tend to be filling exactly that need and allowing us to increase um, the number of bouquets that we're using. But going back to events, I think it's really important to visit about this because there's so many individuals that really want to find a way to repurpose, whether it be a wedding, a corporate event, even uh, memorial services. But um, those of us in the floral industry know and understand that when you design a wedding, and even when you are preparing flowers for a memorial service or a funeral, the flowers need to be at their peak so they look the best. And um, then you top that off on top of, for example, with weddings where you might see wedding flowers out in wind or in sun or having yeah. candles around them. And as we all know, it's like um, putting the gas pedal down. As soon as flowers reach warm temperatures, their life cycle, uh, you know, definitely starts uh, along its way towards the end of the use of that flower. So the weddings and the special events have been very, very challenging from a quality of standpoint, sure. but also from the yield. And yeah. as I like to say, the return on investment, oftentimes by the time we were uh, getting our our volunteers out to the sites. It was late at night and on weekends, which is challenging for volunteers, but also really going back to the number one priority is that the number of flowers that were actually um, coming from these donations were very low of flowers that we felt we could actually use. So one of the things we're doing um, in talking to florists that want to be a part of this and want to help or educate their clients and give them this opportunity is to actually think through the flowers that they're ordering. Because sometimes, um, if it is a matter of stem length, for example, uh, we have a little bit more ability to repurpose certain types of event flowers. Mm -hmm. Um, or if, uh, for example, a creative inexpensive container can be purchased by the client that allows those flowers to not be disrupted as long as they're fresh, but they um, may not have expensive vases that are donated with them, but they at least have a receptacle that allows for some sort of repurposing. Mm-hmm. So interesting. Not too down, far down into that, but we, we know and understand that, you know, people have a desire to feel like they're giving back and do something with those flowers, but it, it takes quite a bit of planning and obviously the temperature and yeah, other conditions are key to a successful repurposing. So, well, so no, that makes a lot of sense. So when you're partnering with uh, major wholesalers, grocery stores, and uh, now flower farmers, it sounds like you're getting product that might be um, overproduction or a wrong color for the season that they can't possibly uh, sell as much as they have, or um, it's maybe 
still really um, fresh, but they have fresher product that they want to sell as a at a premium. So then this becomes sort of their second product, um, all of which ensures that you're going to meet your four to five day uh, goal of a, of a, a a vase life for these bouquets. Um, so I, I love that. I applaud that you've created these partnerships. It, it, has it been hard to get people on board or um, I know you're a forceful personality, Heidi, so <laughs> I think you probably have wooed them. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think um, like anything in life, when you find something that um, appeals or calls to someone um, and they see and understand first and foremost, they know that the bloom project respects the industry and the relationships that we create and, and um, wanting to do what we can to also mm -hmm. encourage people to buy flowers and to purchase them. Um, you know, we feel very strongly that we would love to see more people purchase flowers for people for no reason whatsoever, but do it while we're alive. And let's not um, always think of, you know, flowers in memory because look at how much joy they bring all of us. But, um, you know, in talking to our partners, oftentimes there's a personal connection. You know, not all of us have walked through hospice yet, but we will at some point with a friend or a family member. Death will touch us all. Mm -hmm. And I think that for some of these business owners and these families that have seen the level of uh, of commitment of the Bloom Project to repurposing a product for good, but understanding that quality is number one for all of us to put our best foot forward, but also that the flowers are being repurposed for the very mission that we set out to, um, focus on, uh, has instilled a lot of confidence and loyalty with our floral partners, um, in giving. And some have said, we are giving to you, we are giving fresh product because we believe so strongly in what you're doing that regardless of whether or not we could sell it, we know you need mm. consistency mm -hmm. from us. And as a family, we are choosing to make this decision in our business to support the Bloom Project in this way. So it's been pretty incredible, pretty powerful. Um, you know, in our partners, we definitely honor them through throughout the year. We do a special appreciation event once a year for our partners as well to acknowledge that, but really try to keep them in the loop through all of the lovely emails and handwritten notes and voicemails that we get to keep them tied into the very spirit and heart of what's behind it. And that, that is truly, it is the people that we serve is our why and the how mm -hmm. just happens to be the flowers. Mm -hmm. Wow. Yeah. So, uh, I visited the facility where most of the bouquets are, uh, created. Can you talk a little bit about how it all happens and you know, who's involved? Cause it takes a, a village here, a big village <laughs> to do what you're doing. <laughs> Well, first and foremost, we could not do this without Larry Tufel of Tufel Holly Farms here in Portland. Larry listened to our vision for uh, the Bloom Project and what we wanted to accomplish and what we hope to achieve in the future. And he has generously donated and created two greenhouses that have heating and cooling for us. So our volunteer teams um, and our flowers are happy. <laughs> Throughout the year, including a walk-in floral cooler that's an old shipping container that was converted um, for us to have amazing, yeah. amazing amount of storage. Yeah. <laughs> yes. 
Um, So we have volunteers literally that drive to our various grocery and wholesale partners throughout the Portland metro area. They bring the flowers back to our our greenhouses at Tufel Holly Farms. They are carefully sorted through and selected and then composted if not um, available to use in our bouquets. And then the volunteers create beautiful hand-tied bouquets that are um, then delivered to our hospice partners in a, a cellophane sleeve, similar to what you'd see in the grocery store with a thoughtful little floral insert that shares with the patient and family who made the flowers for Mm. them and why. Mm. Um, So volunteers have a variety of tasks that they can volunteer for. And um, we have approximately 200 volunteers in the Portland metro area alone uh, that are coming to the site sometimes one, two, three days a week uh, for our work sessions. And um, we have creative options too for people that maybe aren't necessarily flower people. There's lots of pickup deliveries, serving on event committees, all sorts of things that we've done to engage people and um, give them an opportunity to volunteer with us. So um, on a given week, how many bouquets are being created and then how do they get delivered to the actual um, recipient? We are on average creating four to 500 bouquets in the Portland metro area a week. Wow. Sometimes more when we have um, peak holidays such as Valentine's Day and Mother's Day and even the holidays where we mm-hmm. receive more donations from our partners. Um, but we, uh, on average, it's about four to 500. They are all going to hospice and palliative care organizations. And then on those, um, peak times where we have overflow, we share them with our, um, local children's hospitals. There's Mm. two here. Legacy, uh, has Randall children's hospital and Dorn Becker children's hospital up at OHSU. And then also uh, Meals on Wheels people for those um, holiday times. That's cool. They're definitely um, appreciated. And as I mentioned before, the actual um, last step is that our partner, our hospice partners, their social workers, nurses, and chaplains take them out to the homes or care facilities. So I thought that was a really interesting decision that you made, that the, the professional caregivers who are on the front lines with um, you know, the recipients are making this delivery because it seems like that is more respectful of the process of palliative care and hospice um, rather than maybe someone who's not trained in that in that kind of service. I, I, don't, I wouldn't feel comfortable doing it probably. Well, that's an interesting point that you bring up because it's actually a decision we made from the very beginning, from day one, because When the Bloom Project was formed, we wanted to create a unique opportunity for people to give back to those in hospice and palliative care. And most of our volunteers have decided to volunteer with the organization because they've had a personal experience. But what we heard loud and clear was, I do not and cannot be bedside. It will be too hard for me. I, I don't that is not a place where I feel comfortable. And so we had to think through if that is the case, um, you know, how will we get the flowers there? And ironically, the whole process has evolved into something so beautiful as this continuum of people who are 
literally and figuratively touching these flowers all the way through the process Mm -hmm. until the end result where Mm -hmm. they get. And so, so many more people have benefited from this very process than we ever really understood in the beginning. And now it's just amazing and sometimes overwhelming Hmm. to understand how the flowers have really impacted people. Yeah. It's, it's really, I, that's a really good point. It's like the, the, the whole pipeline of getting those flowers from the farm to the recipient is involving way more than, um, the, the core volunteer group, it's, it's touching people beyond. I mean, I don't know. What is the participation? You said you have, um, how many volunteers? I, I forgot how many you said. We have 200 in the Portland area with a waiting list of about 75, which is, you know, the one thing we can say is that the Bloom Project has been really fortunate to have not only recruited and trained some fabulous volunteers, but they are committed and enthusiastic and our retention is um, very high. So um, it's been exciting to see, but we're constantly trying to find new ways and new opportunities to involve more people when we can. Yeah. Well, and you, you've told and shared with me that you've heard from people all around the country who want to bring the Bloom Project to their community. How are you handling that and kind of what's your focus going forward? Well, we have realized that a couple of things. One is whether or not you're a for-profit or a nonprofit, you are running a business. Mm -hmm. And it's so important to truly understand um, the costs and the expenses associated with your your mission and how to execute on that and what's needed to really support that. And we believe that the lean business model that we have created is replicable. Um, but in a way that actually, um, becomes very small and very personal to communities, meaning that we hope in the future to engage with nonprofit hospice organizations around the country to coach and teach and train them how to build a bloom project under their roof, their 501c3, powered by volunteers and hopefully supported by a generous community by means of donations of vases and flowers and volunteer time and perhaps a workspace so that on a very small scale for these organizations, they have the ability to do the same thing we are, but without re creating the wheel, reinventing the wheel. Um, So we actually have been piloting a project in San Francisco and recently announced our partnership with Zen Hospice Project in San Francisco, which we're super excited and proud to share the news because this organization mirrors and parallels our missions fit so well together in um, their goal and their vision and mission for providing mindfulness caregiving, not only to the patients they serve, but training others in how to um, participate in a different sort of way in this end of life process. So we have built a bloom project for Zen Hospice Project that is running um, in their hospice house in the middle of the city on a weekly basis. And it's in the process of um, growing and building out to serve all of the hospice patients that they work with um, within the area. We're just in the process of 
uh, identifying and recruiting two to three more wholesalers to donate product in order to build that project out. And what's been great is we have um, learned a lot just from piloting this affiliate uh, with them as to how we can better educate and coach uh, other organizations in the future as the timing is appropriate. We're in a sense building a toolbox yeah. so that um, organizations that are approved and go through the process will be trained and uh, be able to really take away um, how to set this up in a way that's efficient, but also lean and inexpensive to run. Right. Right. And you're, you're, um, <laughs> you kind of have this idea of lean and sustainable. And I know that, um, you personally have volunteered years to this. Uh, it's at some point you've got to have financial donations to keep the bloom project going. And then, um, even to go to the next step and train other organizations. So, is that one of the reasons you do some fundraising or like, how is that? Absolutely. Yes. Uh, we do fundraising throughout the year. Uh, we apply for grants, uh, through small and large foundations. We have individuals that contribute oftentimes, um, due to being a recipient, but also committed volunteers and community members, uh, support us financially, we have wonderful businesses and companies and corporations that provide annual sponsorships to provide some of that support. And then we uh, also hold one major fundraiser. It's a luncheon that's held in uh, Portland in October. And it's a really, uh, as we like to say, it's a really lovely luncheon and a lovely day where we're able to share with our guests the hearts behind the Bloom Project and our mission and our goals for the future, as well as to bring um, some beauty into the room by featuring five local artists and five local floral designers. And they uh, will work together to provide an amazing uh, display and presentation about how this each of the five floral designers were inspired by their corresponding artist and recreating the piece of art in flowers. And it's just, it's a fabulous um, visual as well as um, wonderful educational piece for people that love flowers and love art to be able to meet the artists and meet the designers, but also learn more about what inspires people through color and texture and, um, and all sorts of um, mediums. Yeah. So yeah. We're super excited, and we're excited to have you this year as our special guest to be interviewing the floral designers. Well, thank you. I'm excited, too. You invited me last year uh, to attend, and our, our mutual friend, Christina Stemble from Farmville Flowers, got to uh, be that, uh, that, I guess, guest uh, interviewer. And uh, so I, I know how to do it now. I watch Christina. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I was really impressed with just the the quality of uh that experience like people learned a lot about the bloom project and then they you know were reminded through seeing art and flowers that um you know that's kind of an essential 
gift that we can give to each other, um, and that's what the Bloom Project is all about. So I'm happy to be a part of it this year. It'll be really exciting. And um, we're doing something really fun next week we should tell everybody about just so they don't hate us too much. <laughs> <laughs> yes, so one of our uh, fun live auction items last year was a um, trip for five guests that was um, dreamed up by myself and Deborah Prinzing and Larry Tufel of Tufa Holly Farms. Larry is a pilot and has a fabulous plane um, that he will be essentially flying our guests to Seattle. Next Tuesday, we're doing a Seattle whirlwind where we'll uh, leave the Portland area early in the morning and land at Boeing Field, uh, take a short drive to the Seattle Wholesale Flower Market where our guests will have a wonderful tour and meet some of the local vendors there and then join Deborah for a hands-on workshop and uh, be able to create a lovely centerpiece that they will get to take along their way in the plane as we uh, <laughs> leave Seattle and uh, do a water landing up at Roach Harbor at the Roach Harbor Hotel for lunch and then a leisurely flight back to Portland in the afternoon. So, oh my gosh. Like, yeah. It's, it, I love it. It was really fun to be, to be in the room when that was being auctioned off as a live auction item. It kind of, kind of blew my mind last fall. <laughs> Heated the bidding got, but one of your, uh, no. one of our volunteers actually, and her friend are the, the recipients and they're bringing some other friends along. And we just are grateful to Larry for the flight and to you for hosting us all at the market and sharing your flower wisdom and knowledge and creativity with these ladies. They are just so looking forward to spending some one-on-one -on -one time with you. Oh, it'll be, it'll be wonderful. And I think this podcast will actually air the day after our um, flower day, our, our flying and flower day. So maybe we can sneak at least uh, one or two photos into the show notes at deborahprinzing.com so can, people can see um, this crazy day. And hey, Larry gets major bonus points for like being the token male and like the designated adult in the room with all these <laughs> flower The fanatics. designated driver, so to speak. He's driving the daisies. Yeah, exactly. Um, well, I have two more questions before we kind of wrap up. And one is, um, I just know that there are a lot of heartwarming and really a sort of soul touching stories that you've shared with me. And I'd love to, um, just hear, you know, one that maybe recently or over the course of the past year that really, um, touched you in terms of how the bloom project, uh, you knew that the bloom project, uh, was making a difference in someone's life. And then I'd love to also know how people can get involved. So, um, do you have what story you can share? I do. I I know we have just a few minutes, but I wanted to share a couple of things. Um, number one, I think it's important for people to know that the very heartwarming but also just touching piece of this is that these flowers cross boundaries. It is not age-related. It's babies to elderly individuals that receive these gift of flowers. It is males, males, females, um, across socioeconomic, um, uh, um, pieces in life where we wouldn't even think about it. And one of the things that has touched us all is that I can't tell you the number of times we've heard Deborah, uh, one of the care workers saying that this is the first time that he or she has ever gotten a bouquet of flowers in their life. 
Mm. And it's now. And that has been very sobering for us to think about as we make these bouquets. Um, Probably one that touched me personally recently was a voicemail from a mother of a daughter who had a child up at OHSU. And their family received flowers in July, around the 4th of July holiday. And it was several weeks later that she called, but she finished her voicemail to me by saying, sharing her thoughts and her sentiments around the flowers. But she called the very day her daughter died. Mm. And it struck me that of all the things that this mother could have been thinking about or needing to do or the calls she needed to make, it was important enough for her to call and let us know on that very day. And that has sat with me for a while, just um, to know and understand truly how these flowers are making people feel. And then I think the one that we love to share with people that I'll read real quickly and we can um, finish up with our, our last thoughts, but it says to the kind people of the bloom project, I am remiss in not thanking you sooner for the lovely bouquet presented to my husband as he entered hospice. Mario unable to see or hear and slipping rapidly down the Alzheimer's path could still smell and touch the flowers, which remain bedside next to him. He always loved flowers and he took hundreds of slides of anything that bloomed. I know that your flowers were one of the last things he recognized. Your flowers in in their many colors and variety and scent were an inspiration to me as well. I had forgotten how lovely flowers in the home can be. It's a practice I intend to continue on behalf of Mario. Again, I thank you. Mm. Wow. Yeah, that's, I don't even know what to say. That's just, it's sometimes those of us who are so deeply embedded in the floral industry. Yeah. We think our, you know, we know flowers are beautiful and we love playing with them, but um, there's another level there that um, it's so important to be reminded of. And that's this sort mm-hmm. of spiritual, almost um, visceral quality that that beauty, mm-hmm. t- you know, can touch people in ways we don't even know. Thank you for sharing those Absolutely. stories. Well, I guess when you're exhausted and you're working a 60 hour week, you have to pull out those voicemails and letters to remind yourself, this is an important mission. And uh, I know you're, you're really, personally committed, but you have a lot of opportunities for others to get involved. So I know that we've got, I'll, I'll put the information up about your, the October auction. Okay. Um, that's coming up. What date is that? The 13th? It is uh, Friday, October 27th. 27th. Sorry. Wrong date. Okay. October Not 27th. to worry. <laughs> we have information on our website and we are excited to announce that tickets will go on sale on Friday, September 15th. Oh, okay. Great. So, we'll, and I'll be sure to repost that then in a couple of weeks to remind Thank people. Thank you. Yeah. And then, um, you know, this sounds like a, the physical volunteer opportunities are pretty much in this, in the Portland area. Um, you certainly would ex, uh, accept people's financial donations. And if they're in the floral industry and uh, maybe perhaps some wholesalers or uh, farms will hear about this and get in touch with you. So you never know. Exactly. We just love hearing from people wherever and trying to find ways, like I said, for, for various individuals to get involved, whether it's um, through donation of product, of financial resources, of um, volunteerism, we are so proud of our volunteers and our partners that are throughout the state of Oregon, primarily focused in the central Oregon region, 
through two of our affiliate projects in Bend and obviously the Portland project and now Zen hospice. Um, we look forward to working with other individuals in the future. And as probably many can appreciate, we want to make sure that we are ready both financially and with this toolbox, um, so that we can make the most meaningful experience for others as we share. Um, I think that's the one thing is people talk so much about growth of an organization, which is true and key, but you know, where our heart is, is we want, not only do we want to share more flowers with patients, but we want to share in the conversation about hospice and death and dying and then share what we've learned. So others can benefit and create something beautiful through a bloom project in their own community. Yeah, I really respect that, uh, Heidi, just that idea that you're not going to grow for growth's sake, you're going to find the right partners and do this in a, you know, kind of manageable, sustainable way. So that, uh, I don't know, so everybody who is involved has a positive experience. Um, I love that. Wow. Well, thank you so much for for telling your story. I know I've been pestering you for quite a while to come on the Slow Flowers podcast. So I'm glad it worked out um, that we could tell your story now. And um, I know you'll share photos and um, a little bit more uh, of connections, like how people can sign up for your newsletter and that sort of thing. So we'll have that at uh, DebraPrinzing.com for episode uh, 311. And uh, thanks so much, Heidi. It's been great thank to be you, on the Deborah. phone with you. Yeah. Oh, it's been such a great conversation. Thank you for including me. You bet. Take care. You too. Bye-bye. Thanks again for joining me today. My takeaway from this conversation with Heidi is that we shouldn't ever discount the impact that flowers have in the lives of our community, team members, customers, and clients. These are more than luxury goods, more than perishable indulgences. A flower contains the expression of life and beauty, and it can touch the heart and the senses where words may not be adequate. The Slow Flowers podcast has been downloaded more than 225,000 times by listeners like you. Thank you to each one of you for downloading, listening, commenting, and sharing. It means so much. And if you value the content you receive each week, I invite you to show your thanks and support the Slow Flowers podcast with a donation. The button can be found on our homepage in the right column. Your contributions will help make it possible to transcribe future episodes of the podcast. Thank you to our family of sponsors, Arctic Alaska Peonies, a cooperative of 50 family farms in the heart of Alaska, providing high-quality, American-grown peony flowers during the months of July and August. Visit them today at arcticalaskapeonies.com. Seattle Wholesale Growers Market, a farmer-owned cooperative committed to providing the very best the Pacific Northwest has to offer in cut flowers, foliage, and plants. The Growers Market's mission is to foster a vibrant marketplace that sustains local flower farms and provides top quality products and services to the local floral industry. Find them at seattlewholesalegrowersmarket.com. Longfield Gardens provides home gardeners with high quality flower bulbs and perennials. Their online store offers plants for every region and every season, from tulips and daffodils to dahlias, caladiums, and amaryllis. Visit them at lfgardens.com. Syndicate Sales, an American manufacturer of vases and accessories for the professional florist. Look for the American flag icon to find Syndicate's USA-made products and join the Syndicate Stars loyalty program at syndicatesales.com. 
Johnny's Selected Seeds, an employee-owned company that provides our industry the best flower, herb, and vegetable seeds supplied to farms large and small and even backyard cutting gardens like mine. Check them out at johnnysseeds.com. The Association of Specialty Cut Flower Growers formed in 1988. ASCFG was created to educate, unite, and support commercial cut flower growers. Its mission is to help growers produce high-quality floral material and to foster and promote the local availability of that product. Learn more at ASCFG.org. I'm Deborah Prinzing, host and producer of the Slow Flowers podcast. Next week, you're invited to join me in putting more American-grown flowers on the table, one vase at a time. And if you like what you hear, please consider logging on to iTunes and posting a listener review. The content and opinions expressed here are either mine alone or those of my guests alone, independent of any podcast sponsor or other person, company, or organization. The Slow Flowers podcast is engineered and edited by Andrew Brenlin. Learn more about his work at kinetictreefitness.com. Thank you.